When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Celtic Stuff Live. The only toll-free call-in webcast produced specifically for Celtics fans. Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live, everybody. John and Justin, and we're back. We have a great guest for you today. It's going to be Ian Thompson from NBA.com. You know, John, the last time we talked to Ian, he was actually with SI, but he's been around this league for a good long time. And also, because he resides in Boston, I know he's got some good contacts within the Celtics organization. He's written a couple of nice articles that we're definitely going to talk about with him, and no better timed article than the one on the Celtics and primarily Isaiah Thomas. Uh, leading up to the Golden State game, which is obviously a huge to- uh, topic of conversation for for us on this week's show. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, huge, 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 huge win, historic win Friday night, you know, in Golden State. And uh, we're certainly going to get into that with Ian. Uh, but, you know, look, let's be honest, the afterglow from that game Friday night is still with us. We're going to talk a lot about that tonight, talk about where we're headed, where we're going, um, talk about playoffs, talk about talk about playoffs, playoffs. Yeah, I'm talking about playoffs. Uh, I might also talk about the Nets pick. Uh, lots, lots covered today. And, you know, it's all good. Everything's shiny and beautiful and nice, and, and we're doing Doing this also uh, just uh, a few hours before uh, the Celtics uh, and Lakers play on Sunday night. So, unfortunately, we're not going to get into any of the Kobe stuff. Um, I'm sure some of, we, <laughs> you can check us on Twitter. Knowing Justin, he'll have plenty to say about Kobe stuff. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Kobe. All I can say, all I can say about that is last week you said if the Celtics got three wins on this road trip, it would be hugely successful. They've really got a shot at it tonight. I know this will air on Monday morning, but uh, they have a huge shot at that with the late game tonight against the Lakers. And I'm, I'm really excited. to. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to get their third win, but there could be a letdown. That sometimes happens after these big wins. But has any team played Golden State tougher than the Boston Celtics over the last two years? No, I don't think so. No question. I mean, you look at – they're the only team – that has lost by less than five points to Golden State in the last two years. Only team for the Spurs. And they could have gone undefeated, right? What's that? They could, they could have gone undefeated against Golden State. That loss, Yeah. one thing that was different in these two games, I'm not going to say that the officials didn't you know, give the, the standard hometown you know, refing benefit of the calls, but it wasn't egregious 
in the win on Friday night. The game earlier in the season, I felt like the Celtics got robbed on some on some calls from yeah. the from the officials. Yep. And what I'm going to say about that is that shows you how much respect the Celtics have gotten from the beginning of the season and now to the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, there was some stuff in Portland the night before which wasn't so hot, but yeah, I know I agree with you. I mean, <laughs> the 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 block charge call on Jay Crowder, uh, you know, they, they showed, I mean, I, they just showed some very brief clips of the, of the earlier meeting uh, from December before the game. And I'm just like, what? Pulling my hair out. <laughs> you know, the, the Oh, I was steaming off. mad that night. I was steaming yeah. mad that night because I felt strongly that the Celtics actually won that game. And I don't, you know me. I'm not going to go all munger out on everybody. <laughs> I, I had to give a shout out to Mike because I love Mike. Absolutely. And I don't know if I told you this, and but it's ironic he's an official now. Yes. Like he referees basketball games, but and I love Mike. I really do. And and you know shared a lot of time in the movie. You know, Return to the Rafters back in the days. But you know, I've always been hyper critical of. Hey, we can't lay it on the officials. But that was one time when I definitely was like. Mm, not so sure about this one. I think this one was cooked. And uh, it was nice to see them get this win. Really, they could have had two against Golden State. And there isn't a team out there that could have been able to hang that on their mantle heading into this postseason. Right. No, absolutely. Abs- that, I think that's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, what they, 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 haven't even won, they haven't even lost double digits in, in loss. They haven't even double digits in losses. They're 60 games over 500. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's 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 still the silly season when you think about some of the things that, that they're doing this year, and and we also want to make sure that Golden State's healthy enough to knock off the Spurs in San Antonio. There's one. There's two more games those two teams have. One of those is in San Antonio. We need as as a defender for the 1986 Boston Celtics. Yes, we need the Golden State Warriors to go in there and give the Spurs their first loss of the season at the home court. So that way, the Celtics maintain at least a tie with Golden State and the Spurs uh, for that record, potentially. So, you know, that's a, you know, that's that's kind of the other, you know, wink and a nod in this in this thing that we're, we're looking at is hopefully, you know, the Spurs uh, can get a knock against them and then whatever happens in the playoff happens. But I, I'm I'm just... I'm still in the afterglow. I'm not even sure I've slept yet. I may have closed my eyes, but I'm not sure I've slept yet because the excitement still has not left my body. <laughs> I'll tell you what, and then we're going to go to Ian, but we're going to end the intro on this, and I'll just say you've been having your eye on this for weeks, and it's almost like Nostradamus. Like you actually <laughs> predicted that Golden State was going to lose to the Celtics. I mean, you said it's April Fool's. Like you set it all up. Not last show. Two shows, two shows ago, ago you yeah. set it up. So uh, kudos to you. You you really deserve the afterglow because it's almost like you saw into the future. I will say one thing. I put this out on Twitter, and I don't want people to get overreacting to what I'm saying, but there's just a vibe or a feeling around this Celtics team when they've played Golden State that reminds me of that 2001 Patriots season just a few weeks after Bledsoe went down and Brady moved into you know, the starting QB role when they played close but did not beat the St. Louis Rams. Mm-hmm. And that was the greatest show on turf. And I think they only lost by seven points, and it was closely contested the mm-hmm. whole way through. And it's about what I want to say on that is just about players being competitive and playing above 
their each individual levels, and it's about team. There's just something, and again, you can't. There's the parallels aren't strong, but it's just a vibe. And and as I watched this Golden State matchup, it made me think of that season. And I'm not saying the Celtics are going to go on and win the NBA championship. I do know better than that. Like they're a great team, but they're not a championship team this year. But could they? be you know putting their stake in the ground of hey we're coming and we're gonna get better i absolutely do and we're gonna talk to ian about that coming up next joining us now from nba.com ian thompson john and justin welcome back ian we're uh we're happy to be speaking with you again and you really had a very well-timed article mostly on isaiah thomas but some quotes in there and some general thoughts on the celtics uh right before they wind up getting a win on the road to snap the Golden State Warriors home game win streak. So, well time to have you on the show uh, show today. Uh, glad to be with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about that article because, you know, obviously Isaiah at five foot nine, and that might even be generous, right? At five foot nine, Isaiah is is really having one heck of a season. He made the all-star team. Even at the beginning of this year, I told John I thought he was probably better suited to be coming off the bench just because I liked the perimeter defense of Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley. Plus, you know, they're players that obviously Marcus Smart needs to be developed, but he has more than earned his spot in the starting lineup. He's masked a lot of his, you know, potential defensive deficiencies and really, uh, in the third quarter, went back and forth with Curry in the in the win on Friday night. Maybe talk a little bit more about Isaiah and how he's been able to do that. Obviously, some rule changes have made it easier for smaller guards, but but also his general attitude um, and the way that that he face that he approaches the game. Maybe talk a little bit more about your discussions with him as you as you develop the article. Well, I mean, clearly the, the rules changes at the start of the, the, the new millennium. Uh, no more, uh, you know, the allowance of zone defenses and uh, the eight-second rule to get over half court. And mainly in this case, uh, you can't hand-check the player on the perimeter. Um, that created this whole wave of smaller players that we're seeing now. And Rondo, Rajon Rondo was one of them. Uh, Rondo was a guy that probably could not have been an all-star 20 years ago. He would have been hand-checked out of existence. That's why all the guards were big back then. I, I mean, one of the reasons why. So uh, even though that, even in the days when it was a fast game, there were still big guards. So um, for sure, that that's helped not only Isaiah, but Steph Curry and Rondo and, uh, you know, Chris Paul, maybe, uh, just has changed the game. It's uh, it's made it more of a premier game. It's made it more attractive. Uh, there's a lot more ball movement. It's it's uh, not the defensive-minded game that we saw a decade ago. Um, and then um, with Isaiah, to me, it's it's a couple of things. It's his approach uh, to to scoring and to playing and always having to be creative and figure out ways to score. So. You know, there's so much athleticism in the NBA now, but he couldn't rely on that, even though he's terrific athletically. He had to have all the tricks, all the old-school tricks to go with it. So he understands the game uh, in an intuitive way, and it, it really is an old-fashioned approach uh, to basketball. He he understands balance and, and, uh, and getting your defender 
to go their own way. And he has the confidence as soon as he senses weakness to attack it and to believe in himself that he's going to make good on it. I mean, how many coaches do you think over the years said, no, 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 don't, no, 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 and then he scores. Okay, good job. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that happened all the time with him, and he learned to be really confident in himself. You can just see it in his play. And then he came to the right place. He came to a team that needed him. You know, every every time he went somewhere in the NBA, it was like, you have to prove that you're worthy. Uh, or in college, too, or anywhere. You know, the first class, you have to prove that you're worthy. Well, he finally came to a team that he didn't have to prove it uh, so much as he had to to fill in this gap that they needed. They had a need, and he filled that need. And the need they had was for scoring and playmaking, uh, like a Swiss Army knife kind of need, and he filled it. So they had a lot of young players. Who was their leader? What was the uh, uh, defining element of the Celtics? What was their identity? And he came in and he gave that to them. And they they were they had a team of a lot of young players, hard workers, played with a lot of energy. They wanted to do all the right things that their coach Brad Stevens wanted them to do. But how do you express that? How do you turn that into points? And he was able to turn it into points and give them confidence that. If they do all the right things, they'll find a way to win because they now have a go-to scorer that can do that for them and do it within the identity of the team, not lead them astray from what they want to be, but help them become what they want to be. So it's it's just a perfect fit. Isn't it uh, a testament to Danny Ainge as well? Because it seemed like he had Isaiah Thomas on his radar even before he traded. I know that there were some discussions in the offseason before Isaiah signed with Phoenix. But uh, Danny's ability to not see limitations in players as well to help them kind of fulfill their potential. He was a big fan of Evan Turner. And a whole league was down on Evan Turner after being a number two overall pick. And yet we continue to see a player like Evan Turner get more and more confident in the system as well. I mean, you have to kind of throw it to a GM who's also, you know, really open-minded about how his coach can put these pieces into place. Oh, there's no doubt. No doubt. Um, There's all sorts of examples of that. And a big one is Danny's uh, decision to hire Brad Stevens in the first place. Um, you know, Billy Donovan's running uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, but um, Danny uh, Danny was the first one to say that this can work, and it really has worked. And the feeling was it wouldn't work with a college coach, and uh, that it was too big of a jump to be able to learn the NBA game and adapt to it. And he found a guy that could, and now, now you would, I think you would ask Celtics fans, and they hope Brad Stevens is the coach for the next decade. They, he seems like the perfect fit, not only with the Celtics, but with Danny. And uh, you're right about uh, Evan Turner or or uh, or Isaiah. Um, Jared Solinger has a very important role on the team. Um, Jay Crowder has found a, a terrific uh, place. He, he's invaluable. He give he's another guy that helps give them their identity. So for sure, for Danny. Um, uh, to see what the Celtics need and then uh, go get Isaiah Thomas is a terrific value. 
which as we should point out is part of, he came in as part of that um uh, in the trade exception uh of that trade with Brooklyn. That's that's just turning into a, an incredible trade for the Celtics. So yeah, altogether it's it's a it's a very happy story for the Celtics. <laughs> And that's okay. We, we like that here, you know. <laughs> we're we are very much a biased uh, source here, so that's good. Um, I, I wanted to just after Friday night's game, um, that was. I was asked the question. First of all, what an amazing win! What a great win! I mean, there's just you can, the plaudits go on and on and on. But did did you? I was asked this question yesterday, and I and I. I kind of had to take a second to think about it, but let me ask you, Ian. Did your opinion, not of of the short and maybe long term change of this team and this roster after Friday night's win, or is this pretty much the team you thought they were? Oh, they're much better than going into the year than I thought they could be. As young as they were, um, uh, you know. To me, I, I came in this year thinking that this is a team that um, the goal should be to raise the value of all the players and then try to make your big move this summer. Well, that's happened, but I didn't think it would happen with a chance for the Celtics to earn the number three seed in the East and um, be a be a real NBA grown-up NBA team. I thought they would be a young team, <laughs> developing transition team, where your goal was to win games when you could, but mainly to develop the value of the players. And they've, they've definitely done that, but they've also won the games. And so, um, but does it change the point of view of the roster going forward? It doesn't, because to me, the, the goal for the Celtics, obviously, is to win championships. And this roster, I don't think, can win a championship. There just isn't enough firepower there. But this summer, uh, between the Nets pick, uh, we'll see where that lands up in the lottery, um, uh, the value of all the players they have, the fact that they have this incredible amount of wealth in the draft, I think they have eight picks in the draft, including the Nets pick, three in the first round overall. uh, And then they have cap space. So there's all sorts of things that Danny can do uh, to make deals. you know, and for sure they're going to add at least one more star, one way or another, uh, to go um, with Isaiah, and whoever else becomes a star among within this roster. And then they have a bunch of guys that aren't afraid of the big moment either. They already, they, whether it's uh, defensively or offensively, how many big shots uh, Jay Crowder has hit this year, uh, in addition to his big time defense. And Evan Turner is a guy. If you if you're if you have a team and you're trying to win big playoff games, Evan Turner is definitely a guy you want on the floor in the last two minutes of those games, and Isaiah clearly is. And then uh, guarding on the perimeter is the hardest thing in the NBA. It's the most important thing just about now. And, and to have uh, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, and uh, Jay Crowder doing that—that's another uh, tremendous weapon. So. Going forward, you know, this year is a surprise. This is not the year to cash in the playoffs, I don't think, but that may be coming very soon now. Yeah. 
Well, you know, you mentioned that, you know, this summer, obviously, and we've talked a bit, quite a bit on the show um, about the potentials and the different names and all this. But, you know, obviously, as you know, Danny does not wait. <laughs> you know, he, he's making phone calls all the time. Um, but he's held, you know, apparently, you know, he's been holding back. He's He hasn't pulled the trigger on a move yet. And you, know, you look at what happened with Atlanta last year, 60 wins, you know, world beaters. And then t- until very recently, they really had had a pretty disappointing season. I'm wondering, does that lesson give Danny any more, you know, push behind him to 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 need to make a deal? Or, you know, or is the, conversely, is the other issue a greater issue for him, which is teams are afraid to do a deal with him for the, you know, the very reason like you were talking about with the Brooklyn deal being such a, a big win for him. They're worried he's, you know, kind of trying to pull something on them. You know, I, I think teams aren't afraid of doing the deal with Danny. Teams are just afraid of doing deals and sticking their necks out. Um, and there aren't a lot of GMs like Danny who isn't. Uh, and I don't think it's right to say Danny isn't afraid. I, I think, you know, when he was a player, he had a fear of failure. And I'm sure he has a fear of failure now. But he's still going to do the, the deal he thinks is going to work. You know, um, I I don't know that there are a lot of examples out there that would would uh, counsel him on what to do next. Uh, you know, like the Hawks. You you make a great point about the Hawks, but that's a peaking team. Though their best players are at their peak: Al Horford and Paul Millsap, and Jeff Teague's approaching that. And um, the Celtics are in a different position. This. Their players have not peaked, and um, uh, the idea is the idea going in was to build a, build up their value and uh, sell off some of them to get players who have peaked. To get to, so, I think I think ultimately the reason why Danny hasn't done a deal so far is because there wasn't one to be done that met the expectations uh, of the Celtics. So it wasn't a good enough deal, but you, we all know he was trying to do one. And if there would have been one available, if it had been possible for him uh, to get uh, Kevin Love or Al Horford or Okafer, whoever it was at a reasonable price, we all know he would have done it. It just wasn't available. And now he has, he has more assets than he can use literally. So it's now reached a tipping point where, he can just throw in a bunch of extra stuff and make and and make a deal this summer because he's not going to be able to use it anyway. There's no way they're going to use eight picks in the draft, especially as good as their young roster is right now. Unless there's a player that they really really love that they think is better than what they have now, they're not going to use all, most of those picks. So for sure, um, turn guys, turn turn what you have into something else. Uh, I think that's what we're going to see this summer. Yeah, I think a lot of those, at least the second round picks and and possibly the later first round picks, are going to have to be stashed for future picks if they don't find you know that package deal for a veteran like you mentioned. And that's really what Danny did the last time. He took on players like Ricky Davis and turned that into something. He drafted players like Al Jefferson and. Uh, wasn't afraid, to your point, 
uh, I'm sure he was a fear. There was a fear of failure, but he wasn't afraid to move Antoine Walker, who was a huge hometown favorite at the time, to help start the rebuild. And he took he took a lot of you know flack, I guess, from the fan base. But all the picks that he received, the way that he made picks in the draft, and to your point, getting those players to a level of development where they were worth something on the trade market has something that you know we would love to see him be able to do again. But truly, he's in a better position now than he was when he started that rebuild. And I think that's the reason this time frame is bumping up. But I want to look a little bit ahead to the playoffs, too, because I know I think you're right. I don't think this team is quite ready to cash in in the playoffs, but they're still obviously very young. And uh, they're going to hopefully do better than they did in the first round against Cleveland last year. And I thought they fought hard, but this team is better. We just want to keep seeing them improve, and I think we have. Is With this tightly packed sort of seeds three through six, do you see a first-round matchup for the Celtics that would probably be the best for them since there's only six games left in the season before we really start seeing where that's going to fall? Yeah, I, I'm sure they're going to do better than they did last year. And the first reason is they won't be playing Cleveland in the first round uh, or Toronto. Um, so those are the two teams you want to avoid. And so mission accomplished there. And then and then uh, they're just so much more structured and uh, uh, more competitive than they were last year. And, and just the team makes more sense. The roster made more sense than it did last year. Um, so... In every way, they're they're better suited uh, to go into the playoffs with confidence in the first round. And I'm sure that whoever draws the Celtics is uh, going to be very worried. And it doesn't matter whether that team has a home court advantage or whether the Celtics do. Right? I think um, the fact that you have to play a 48-minute game against the Celtics and, and that they're so deep and they turn their depth into a strength rather than a weakness. It's um, it's not that there's a big drop off when they go to their depth because they have so many players who are of equal value or, who are uh, you know there just isn't a big drop off. And so this idea of going up teams in waves uh, with defensive effort, uh, you know, with a team that I think is ranked fourth or fifth in the league in defensive efficiency, it's it's just a great thing to have going into the playoffs. For me, what I look at in the playoff series is um, when when you think about matchups, you know, and the games slow down a bit and it's the same team game after game for seven games after seven games, who are the guys that are hardest to stop? And uh, based on that, you would think that the preferable choice for the Celtics would be Charlotte because uh, they don't have uh, the the go-to scorer uh, like the other teams. Charlotte has Kemba Walker, but that's the strength of the Celtics' defense between uh, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, and, and even Jay Crowder uh, helping out there, or Jay Crowder on Nick Batum. Um, so to me, that, that would be um, a good matchup uh, for the Celtics. But again, I don't see a matchup in there that's uh, certain for the Celtics to win. You're not going to say, okay, Charlotte, for sure, they're going to beat Charlotte. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Charlotte's really well coached, and Kimball Walker's had a terrific year, and um, they've really played well over the second half of the season. Uh, so, And it goes the other way, too. I, I don't see a matchup here 
let's say my it's Miami and Boston somehow, uh, and Miami's got quite a bit of firepower. Um, they've got a lot of really strong individual players, but I wouldn't say that Miami's a sure thing to beat the Celtics either. Uh, and I don't think Miami would go into any series with the Celtics doing that. So it's going to be really tight. It's going to be really exciting and hard to predict. And, and from an entertainment point of view, that that's the best thing you can hope for. Well, it should make those first-round series really exciting because that is so tightly packed. Uh, to your point, you know, the Cleveland probable Indiana-Detroit matchup, you know, we usually see that 1-8-2-7 seed series not necessarily be as entertaining um, as, as the other two Eastern Conference matchups in the first round. But I will tell you, I think you make a great point. Miami's a little scary. I know the Celtics match up well against Miami, but they're a little bit scary because Dwayne Wade gets those star calls. And when they're trying, when you're having somebody who's going to close out the game, and we've seen it, you know, numerous times, the Celtics actually match up, have, have gone up against Miami quite a bit in the, when they've made the playoffs over the last 10 years. And um, I remember a certain first round series one year. But, um, but you look at Dwayne Wade, he gets a lot of those calls. That's something to your point that none of the other teams in that middling pack really have. And I think that might set Miami apart. Yeah. And, uh, Twain Wade and Dragic and Whiteside now is putting up exceptional numbers as a defender and rebounder. Um, you know, uh, they, they have guys who've played in, uh, all-star games or you, you really have to game plan against Walt Dane. And it's just not an easy, it's not an easy assignment. And then they have a program that knows how to win in the playoffs, that they're geared to do it, their coaching staff and Pat Riley on down. It's uh, They have to be respected in a big way. And, you know, Miami is um, going in these playoffs with the idea of trying to recruit Kevin Durant or, or someone like that this summer. So this is going to be a big organization lead for them, not to, they need any more uh, stimulation to play well in the playoffs, but it's going to be a big thing to show that they're, that they are contenders right now. And that if uh, someone came in to play with them, then they'd be even better. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I just think those, uh, those playoff series involving three through six in the East, those are going to be the ones to watch in the first round because in the West, I don't see a single upset in the West. Uh, I see all four top seeds just moving on and preparing to play each other. And then we're all going to be paying attention uh, in the second round to the the two series in the West. Those are going to be almost like NBA final series uh, between the Clippers, Golden State, and Oklahoma City, San Antonio. That's going to be exceptional. And I'm not sure who's going to win those series. Um, And then, you know, in the first round, Cleveland – let's say Cleveland and Indiana or Detroit, we're, we're going to be watching to see if Cleveland's got their act together and if they're, they're pulling together now that's the playoffs or they're playing good defense. And they're going to be vulnerable uh, to losing a couple of games in the first round if they don't. In Toronto, they haven't won a playoff series in uh, who knows how long. I think they've won one playoff series in the entire history of the franchise. So there's going to be some insecurity with Toronto too. Uh, no matter who they play in the first round, but the 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 two the series involving the three through six teams, these those are going to be the real pick'em series. Yeah, well, and 
I, I just to quickly go back to your the, the Kevin Dur- your Kevin Durant comment because I think that that's something that for all of us you know as we're we're looking at playoff seedings, I you know like you said I'm I toss them in a hat I'm not sure if it makes a difference at this point if if you're playing well you could beat any of those three and any of those three could be could beat the Celtics. Um, looking ahead though to the summer and Durant um, and his prospective free agency and and you just you know kind of laid out the very tough road that Oklahoma City has. Does do you think how they <laughs> proceed through this playoff will have uh, an outsized impact on his view of that franchise and his future there, or do you think that there are there are other factors there? You know, family and money, and I mean the things that normal free agents would look at. Um, but obviously, he's got what seems from from this perspective a pretty good situation right now. But if things don't end well, does that really put the pressure on him to to look hard um, at potential other landing sites this summer? Well, I think we know he's going to look no matter what. No matter what happens, he's going to look. Um, And then the question becomes, uh, is he better off somewhere else? Financially, I don't think it's going to make a difference. He's got all these endorsements, and it hasn't hurt him at all being in Oklahoma City. In fact, it's probably helped him. He's made him a bit of an underdog playing for Oklahoma City, and maybe that's helped him. But I, I don't think he needs – he doesn't need to say, I'm, I need to go to a big market uh, to get respect commercially because he couldn't have more respect than he has already, and he signed a big sneaker deal. And so, so that part of the argument um, – I don't know that that will affect him uh, just in the same way it didn't affect LeBron when he left. Miami's not one of the big markets. Um, uh, he went there to win. And so if we just, who knows? Who knows how Kevin Durant's going to decide or what's going to happen or if they win the championship, is he more or less likely to leave? Maybe he's more likely. To leave. Maybe he says, okay, I, I did everything I could here. Now it's time for a new challenge. Or maybe they win the championship and he says, I want to stay. And maybe they lose and he says, I can't leave until I win the championship here. I'm going to sign a one-year deal and become a free agent next year because the money's even going to be greater next year. That could happen. And Russell and I will decide what to do together. For me, a big question for him is, uh, is he going to find someone better to play with than Russell Westbrook? And that's going to be really hard to do. Uh, It's going to be really hard to find. Because uh, Russell Westbrook is basically the LeBron of point guards and the guy that can dominate his position uh, at both ends of the floor, physically, athletically. Now they have they have slipped in the last couple of years defensively. Oklahoma City, they're not the defensive team that they were, and to me that's going to be a big deal in these playoffs. Can they get back to that? Can they uh, can they apply their athleticism defensively? And Westbrook's going to be the leader in that. Um, that that's going to be a big deal for the playoffs. So for me, the way the way to look at Kevin Durant is just to focus on his team in these playoffs and, and how well do they play and uh, does it look like a winning formula? But there's just so many variables, and it's so hard to anticipate what's going to happen in the playoffs, much less how. Uh, a private citizen is going to decide, make this decision. And again, it's very possible he could sign a one-year deal, stay in Oklahoma City, and give it another run after all of the, uh, and then and then become a free agent 
the following summer. And we go through the whole thing again. How big of an impact do you think this salary cap adjustment is going to have? I mean, is it, I know it puts more teams to, or brings more teams to the table, but do you think it, it creates fireworks or do you think it really is probably going to be more of the same where, you know what, this is this is the franchise that I'm with. This is the one that makes me happy. I mean, most of the time we don't see these guys move. And um, I know the, the intention of the salary cap going up is not to create more movement. It's, it's simply there's a lot of TV dollars at the table and the players deserve a piece of that. But do you, do you think it's going to shake it up as much as, as some people are hoping? Obviously, Celtics fans are, are in that mix. Or do you think it's, it, that players tend to be more comfortable in the setting that they've been in, you know, and, and, and try to make that work as much as possible? I just don't know if there's any blanket statement that can be made about players. You know, some players want to be recruited. Some players want to stay where they are. Some players want the attention. Some players want to be left alone. Um, uh, just like all other, just like your business or my business, there's all types. And um, I do know that when LeBron was a free agent, when he went to Miami, there were six teams that could afford him, and now there's going to be many more teams than that that can afford Kevin Durant, and it's going to be, going to be because of all this new money coming in. Um, now, um, for me, this is a great example of why it's so important for the Celtics to have a guy like Mike Zarin, who's just so smart, and he's got the numbers crunched in such a reasonable way that he's going to really help, I would think. Uh, he's going to really help the Celtics navigate their way through this mysterious time. You're going to see uh, teams offering ridiculous money to certain players because the market's just going to drive up the value of certain players. And if, if fans think they can't believe some of the money that's being handed out today, Wait a couple of years, and when you see some guy coming off the bench making huge money now uh, in the NBA, uh, it's, it's just going to be mind-boggling. So um, making smart decisions and being having a point of view that enables you uh, to do the wise thing going forward, I think that's where Mike Zarin's value is, is going to be. Uh, not that it isn't prominent already, but he's going to be a difference maker uh, going forward for the Celtics, I, I would think. Um, but it's just so unpredictable uh, how this summer's going to go. Uh, I remember the, the summer, uh, I think it was the summer when Tim Duncan was a free agent and uh, Tracy McGrady and Tim Thomas was offered a max deal, I think by the Chicago Bulls. And I mean, we could be heading into that kind of deal again, where, where guys like him are just getting way too much money. Yeah. Just because it's there and people want to improve their franchise and they know that the fan base is going to ask, why didn't you do everything you could? And you had this money available. Why didn't you spend it? There is going to be a lot of pressure on you know teams to uh, to be able to address that, and I think you know one of the things not only Mike Zarin, and that's a it's a great point that you bring up, Mike, but also 
just the fan base in Boston has proven to be so loyal, even in lean times, in terms of wins and and restructuring, that I would think that the pressure on Danny and and Mike Zarin to to overpay or take a risk like that would also be low because you know they have a winning model even when the team isn't always winning. Yeah. That's why Danny is a good fit with the Celtics because the big picture is to win the championship and to hold your cards until you can you can get that ace that's going to help you win the big pot and to not be insecure uh, and think okay I need to win fifty games now or else I'm going to get fired. No, that's to me, it's the, the the difference in point of view that way is why there there's uh, a few franchises that seem to win all the championships, and most of the franchises in the NBA don't get a sniff at it, and it's because they don't understand that they 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 feel they need to go out and win 48 games this year, um, but for the teams that are trying to win it and they know how to win it, they know how to do that. There's a different agenda and a different different point of view, and um, you're just more secure uh, going forward uh, than these other teams. I think that's a great point, and I I want to uh, before we let you go, I do want to bring up an article that you wrote at the right before the season started back in September. Everybody can go over to NBA.com and find this, but it was on Tommy Heinsohn. And there's a quote in here I want to I wanna bring out that I thought was really telling, especially when we talk about winning franchises. And you know, I want to tie that to leadership because I think leadership you know, for any organization, again, whether it's your business, my business, or the Celtics, is, is obviously crucial to how a business is going to run. But the particular uh, quote comes from right before Game 7, uh, in 1974 against the Milwaukee Bucks. It's going to be on the road. And Heinsohn is talking about how he wants to apply the press to take the Bucks sort of out of their element, throw them a curveball, and, and take the crowd out of the game. But it was about how he approached it with the team. And the quote is, I didn't tell them I was doing it, Heinsohn says. I asked them what their thoughts were on doing it, which is what Red would do. They molded over and decided we would do it. And that's really about players taking accountability And I wanted to just say, I think that's part of what's uh, going wrong in Cleveland. And again, they're still number number one in the in the in the division, so or in the conference. So I don't want to overplay that, but I think that that's one of the issues. And then secondly, I think a a coach like Brad Stevens really embodies that. From everything that we've heard, it sounds like there's a lot of account individual accountability and a lot of engagement amongst the players, and that might be why we're seeing this greater impact of the team. And I just thought that was really telling because it's something Heinsohn did. It's something Red Auerbach would do. And I think it's something that every successful leader in any organization across the country does is, is really bring it and, and let the players take some ownership and make the decision or let the employees take some ownership and make the decision and, and carry the, the organization forward successfully. And uh, I don't know if, if that one stood out to you as much. I mean, there's so many good, good quotes in here, but I just, I thought maybe you could speak to, to the leadership thing and maybe even what's going on in Cleveland. Cause I know they changed coaches in the middle of the year um, and, and maybe wrap on that. You know, um, 
Tom Heinsohn has talked to me about this a couple of times about how Red used to do things and um, uh, and how he did it as a coach too. And you would ask the players, "What do you think? Anybody got anything?" And, and encourage the players to come up with solutions because then if it's their idea, now it's their responsibility to make it happen. Uh, it's going to be harder to make something work unless uh, unless they're in on it. They agree with it. They believe in it and committed to it. So, But I, he's also said that he doesn't think that, uh, that the dynamic really exists like that so much anymore, that the players expect the coach now to tell them what to do. Um, and there are so many tools that are presented to the coach in terms of scouting and tendencies and statistical breakdowns of tendencies and all the information provided by Mike Zarin and his department, uh, his point of view. Um, and the players don't have access to any of that. And so the coach is expected to be a kind of manager, the way Rick Carlisle was in Dallas. Uh, and I think Brad Stevens is really good at that. And he goes through all the numbers and decides, okay, if we do this, this is going to be the best way for us to win. And they believe in it. They believe in him. They believe in his advice and his point of view. And uh, and clearly he talks them through the whys and, and why, why it's going to work, why this is the best thing to do. Um, in Cleveland, I, I just don't know what I just don't know what to say about Cleveland uh, because we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And w- w- let's talk about this one game recently where LeBron wasn't playing, and it looked like he was coaching on the sideline. He took a lot of grief for that. Uh, yeah, but my point of view is: look, we don't know if he's like that every day in practice. So if he is like that every day in practice, if he's reaching out to his teammates and trying to tell them what's the right thing to do. Well, then shouldn't he be doing the same thing when he's on the sideline during the game? Uh, you know, if, if he kept his mouth shut during the game and didn't say anything, I think he'd take a lot of criticism for that too. Okay. Um, what's, what's surprising to me about Cleveland versus Golden State is that if you looked at the results uh, of this season and the way both teams have played, you would have thought that Cleveland won the championship and Golden State lost it last year because Golden State has played like the hungrier team, much more so. They've played like uh, they have something to prove, and Cleveland looks very much like a team that feels like they proved it and come get me now, and it should be the other way around. Uh, Cleveland should be the hungriest team this year. They, they have so much to gain. They were that close to winning and uh, but it, it seems to have gone the other way. They're not playing the defense they were last year. The, they're not locked in together like they were last year. They were the hottest team in the league last year over the second half of the year. They were they were unbelievable. And even as guys started dropping out of the lineup with injuries, they kept playing that well. And they had a two-one lead over Colton State uh, without so many good players, Kyrie and Kevin Love and. Other guys, too, and and yet they had a 2-1 lead in the NBA Finals, and they just don't seem to have that same spirit this year, that same fire. Can they get it back? Absolutely. Anybody that remembers the, the uh, was it 2010 playoffs in Boston knows that Cleveland can get it back together and get to the NBA Finals and even win it. 
Um, the Celtics that year went 27 and 27 uh, down the stretch. And when you say down the stretch, it's most of the season. And and they looked terrible at times. They looked so old and tired, and like they had no spirit at all. Even at the end of the regular season, when they were really trying to win, they looked like they had nothing going. And then the playoffs, it came together for them. And that same thing can happen in Cleveland. Uh, I have no doubt. So uh, it's really hard to know what's going on with any team in the league. Um, but I just know that the playoffs are going to be uh, tremendous. And, and the fact that we don't, there's a lot we don't know. We aren't, we're only going to find it out in hindsight. That's what the playoffs are for. It's going to be really interesting, not only for the Celtics, but for Cleveland, for the Clippers, for Oklahoma City, uh, for all sorts of teams, for Toronto. There's also every, every team going in these playoffs has uh, some kind of question or other, even Golden State. Um, Golden State in the second round against the Clippers. That's going to be a really, really tough series if Blake Griffin comes in and makes a big difference for the Clippers, as, as you would think he would. So it's just going to be a tremendous playoffs, and, uh, and it's, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I think it definitely is, too. And just to end on that, on the point you made about Cleveland, sometimes uh, that dysfunction becomes a rallying point and a driver for momentum in the postseason. So I wouldn't count them out either. I think you make a, an excellent point there. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. As always, some great insight. And uh, we love what you're doing for, for NBA.com. We know you've been there for a couple of years, but uh, I really have to encourage everybody, not only, I doubt there's anybody listening to this that hasn't already read the Isaiah Thomas article, but there may be some people who missed the Tommy Heinsohn article earlier in the year. And, you know, it talks about how Tommy and, and Dave Cowens really invented the small ball uh, lineups that we're seeing, that strategy that we see prominent or becoming more prominent in the NBA today. And I think everybody will find it fascinating. So, Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. As always, Ian Thompson, just a phenomenal guest for us, John, now with NBA.com, as we mentioned before. And, you know, I think one of the things, I asked him that leadership, uh, that leadership question because it just strikes me that Stevens is, is really all about engaging, but he kind of went a different direction with that and said that really they're, they're managers and their job is to bring the information you know, to the team. But there's still a big part of that where they have to buy into the team. They have to buy into that information, and then they have to execute it on the floor. And it's interesting because after the Golden State win, Stevens talked about poise being the difference, not the score, which is also very funny because Stevens will always, almost always reference the score uh, and say, hey, that it's a win or it's a loss, and the goal is to win, and that's it. But in this case, he said, don't look at the score. Look at the poise of this team being different. And I want to say that during one of the timeouts, ESPN covered this. They went into the huddle, and Stevens was imploring the team not to emotionally overreact to the punches that were coming back. And I think this one was right after Steph Curry hit a three-pointer and cut the deficit, um, you know, cut it down. I think it was down to two might have been when that happened. But Stevens encouraging the team, don't emotionally overreact to that. Continue to play your game. You know, it's not just the poise of the team, it's the poise of the coach. And he's getting them to buy into it. So whether he's bringing it to them with the data and he's a manager, or whether he's leading by giving them that information and letting them choose whether or not they're going to do it, 
at the end of the day, it's pretty clear he has his team bought into what he's trying to do and what the organization's trying to do. And the results are, well, as he said, the result is there's a lot more poise. No better player to exemplify that than Evan Turner's play in that Golden State game, don't you think? Oh, my gosh, yeah. No, I, I think, you know, they, they were the poise shown, mental toughness shown. The ability to be resilient. I think that's that's where so many teams, you know, get bowled over by that team, the Golden State Warriors. You know, you hit a three and and it's demoralizing. You and play the crowd great is defense. Nuts. The right. crowd is nuts there. Right. Absolutely. You're playing your, your butt off, you're defending everything, and Steph Curry jacks it up from thirty five feet out and, and swishes it. There's nothing more demoralizing than that. And a couple of those, three of those, you know, what you do everything right, but they just go to another level that, that's rarely been seen. And what do you do? And, and what, what Stevens, I think, very appropriately said is that, hey, look, you got to stay in the moment, stay in the game. Focus on what you're doing. Focus on your situation. He did say, I mean, and, and I think very famously, he said, we're going to win this game. You know, he was very confident in them. And I think that that belief and that trust, too, kind of goes hand in hand with that, is that, yes, you need to be, you, you know, if you maintain poise, yes. But I also believe that you can maintain that poise, that you can be successful with with uh, that sort of you know, brand of ball, and that will be enough for you to even be a team that is otherworldly, that is never before seen. You can take them to to the limit and beat them. That is an unbelievable message to come from Brad Stevens, and and for the team to carry out. And I think that that's something that Celtics fans, as you're looking, is there any better possible advertisement that you could have to? free agents across the land and I'm not going to we don't want to go into this right now but is there any better possible thing to send to free agents across the land national TV time against the best team in the league on ESPN on a Friday night and that's the that's the ad you gave I mean that's that's uh that's some real Apple 1984 throwing the hammer at the screen type stuff the type <laughs> of thing that you remember forever and ever and ever I mean it, no one will confuse Brad Stevens with Don Draper uh, but <laughs> he's sure to, he's, he's knowing how to sell this, the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the other thing I think is, um, you talk about Evan Turner and watching him resurrect his career, uh, with this club. I mean, you think about the expectations on him. We talked about this with Ian, but watching this team get better and watching players like Evan Turner, you know, get that confidence. I mean, he's never played so well. And that, I think, will be attractive to some of those, you know, roster players that you're trying to round out the roster with, you know, guys that are still young, especially, you know, depth will always be an issue when the Celtics are consolidating talent. That's what we saw happen the first time they went through this process. The draft picks will help mitigate that a little bit, and the number of young players on this roster will help mitigate it. But the truth is, if you remember, other than P.J. Brown, Danny Ainge had a real hard time bringing in effective veterans to round out the roster. And and I think that might be a little bit of a difference maker as we look ahead um, in the next few seasons and as this builds towards a contender. The other thing I'll say is in the postseason, we got to get to the playoff seedings now. But when you look at playoff seedings, 
uh, or when you look at our playoff discussion that's imminent, right? Six games left on the docket, five by the time anybody listens to this show, three of those against the three to six seeds. We've got to look at some of that. A lot going on, a lot still to be determined, but it will be a huge overlying conversation for us about how the Celtics are playing in the postseason, what it's going to do for them in the offseason. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It sets the tone. It says you are uh, poised. I mean, I think what you're looking for is the word poised quite a bit here. Uh, and that's not an ad for adult diapers. But the poised <laughs> situation. <laughs> oh, that's classic right there. Um, you're, they are, if they can prove to be the winner of the three to six tournament, which is basically the, the two playoff series. Uh, that will occur between for those three through six um, seedings in the East. If they are determined the winner of that, far and away, let's say they're able to get through the first series and they're able to give it a good charge uh, in that second round series into either Toronto or into into Cleveland. That puts them in the position in the conversation for the. We're good, but we can be so much better if fill in the blank joins us, you know. And and that's a very easy conversation to have. If you're going to to Al Horford, who gets dumped out in the first round, and you say, "Well, look, hey, you know, we're we're pretty close." And as Ian appropriately mentioned during his interview with us, I thought he was right about this. Atlanta was not in the same is not in the same situation, or the Celtics are not in the same situation as Atlanta was a year ago. They are they were peaking team. They're at the at the end. That that's as good as they're going to get. The Celtics are definitely a team still on the rise and definitely a team with assets upon assets. So we're we're we we just need to get through that first series. They've got to win that first series, in my belief. They I think it is a disappointment if they don't win that first round series, no matter who it's against. But then if they can really put that, that second series into a really tough spot. That's where that's where the money is, I think, for, for the Celtics in this postseason. The thing that I thought was interesting, Chris Forsberg wrote um, a comparison to the Warriors' ascent with the Celtics, you know, record season after season, and how they've kind of constructed the team, the numbers of draft picks versus free agents that were on the squad. And it is pretty similar. It's not identical, but this Celtics team is definitely a team on the rise, to your point. And so bringing in that key free agent, and the trade is still an option. I'm not sure that you know Golden State had as many trade options as the Celtics have, which, which I think Golden State came out a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, but I think the Celtics could make the leap a lot quicker if they if they really show up in this postseason. Well, and you know, they, they had that one ridiculous draft where they turned you know three draft picks into Festus Azili, Clay Thompson and, and and Draymond Green. I mean that <laughs> ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean that's I, I that come on. Stop it now. You know, I mean that's just that's foolish, but you know, that's that that helps a great deal for them. But that you know, they they grew from within largely. Um I mean other than the Iguodala deal, um they really didn't make great strides of adding players from outside to come in to make them better. They did it really homegrown talent um, and credit to them for doing so. The Celtics really, even if you say Jay Crowder didn't, wasn't drafted, uh, Isaiah Thomas wasn't drafted here. 
it it'd be hard to argue otherwise that they did that they received the leap you know in their playing abilities by playing under Brad Stevens and under this ownership and this you know general manager it's in Boston that they that they went to the next level so sure they they didn't get drafted here but i i think in good reason you could say that they're Celtics you know it hasn't even been a year it's barely been a year for those two uh for Jay and Isaiah but it's it's the development they've had here has taken them to the next level. Never mind guys like Evan Turner and and Zeller who were elsewhere, but now are you know legit players. Um, so yeah, I mean the comparisons is certainly an interesting one. So let's look at how the Celtics finish out the season. I mean, obviously they got you know the game against the Lakers, which will have been completed by the time anybody listens to this. Then three days later, they've got the Pelicans and then Milwaukee. But the last three games of the season, starting on Saturday the 9th up against Atlanta, then the Hornets, which have moved into the third slot as of this brought, you know, our recording, and then they'll close out the season against Miami on April 13th. Um, those are the three of the other, well, those are the three middling teams in the three through six battle, and they're all going to be determining their destiny. Um Here's what my question is. Do you think any of these guys are going to actually sort of concede so that they're rested up a little bit? Because we've talked about the Celtics maybe being a better fit in the sixth seed than the four or five anyway. So do you think any of these teams kind of, you know, not slack, but but maybe we don't see the best effort in those three games? Or do you think they're going to be the three scrappiest pre-playoff type of games that we could hope for? That's a good question because I don't. I, I'm not sure. Uh, the Celtics have the tiebreaker over Charlotte and Miami, and currently Atlanta has the tiebreaker over the Celtics. The game next Saturday between the Hawks and Celtics Saturday, is is a pretty important one in terms of playoff seeding. If the Celtics can win that game, and that's the first of the three games, uh, you know, between them and and the. Uh, um, the various uh, three through six teams. If they win that game, they own the tiebreaker over every single one, or at least in Atlanta's case, it goes to the second the second tiebreaker. But at the very least, they are they'll have tied the season series. So, if that's the case, if you can win the season series and you and you think you got a shot at three, you got to go for it. I, I just start talking about the Celtics' motivation. I would. I would. I agree. You want that home round. You want the home playoff series. You want. I'm not sure. Four games for this hometown crowd. I want the three through. I want the three six game. That's what I want. I want. But would you rather be the three than the six if you could get there? If I could get there, yeah. But I definitely don't want to be the five. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't. I I don't want to place place Cleveland. I. I think there. There's a good chance they could implode. I think there's a good chance it's probably better to play them early than late. But I I want to play Toronto. I want to play a team that has struck has has had almost no playoff success in their history. Um, I want to play a team that doesn't have uh, you know Damari Carroll. That's the team I want to play. And whatever I need to do to do to get there puts me in a position where I could get to the conference finals. Now that is a successful season. And if you lose to Cleveland in, you know, five games, six games, so be it. But that's to me is where that to me that would be the ideal. You think they have a legitimate shot to go to the Eastern Conference Finals if they 
if that's the the series that they play Cleveland in. If, if Is they, that what you're saying? Yeah, if they can get to the 3-6, they've got the easiest road possible to get to the conference finals. Uh, if they have to go through Cleveland, I, I don't have a no, lot I'm of hope. You. I don't have a lot of faith either. I'm pretty scared of Toronto too, though. That's why we had those those you know two games and five nights marked on our calendar, and I don't think we learned a damn thing from it, unfortunately. But that's that's why I had it marked is because I wanted that I wanted those games to put me at ease thinking about the playoff matchup. I'm still with you. If I have to choose, I'm taking Toronto over Cleveland. But I'm thinking, you know, second round exit in six games for this team if I were to have a prediction. But keep in mind, I predicted 44 wins at the beginning of the year, and it's quite clear that this team's going to finish with more than 44 wins, right? They're going to be probably around 47 wins. Uh, they could squeeze 48, maybe. Maybe. They could. They've got, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's well, they've got six left, and they're at 44 now. I mean, they... Yeah, they, and you got to say 45, hopefully, after the Lakers game. I hope I'm not jinxing it, right. but you got to think 45 after the Lakers game. So you've got five games left, and they you could know, run the table. Three out of five? They, they could run the they table. They could run the table. I, I think with Crowder back, was it, I'll tell you what would be interesting. Are you seriously? So you pointed, you pointed, you know, for home run on the Golden State game. Yeah. And I hear you pointing for the, you know, pointing at the stands for 50 win season. <laughs> That's what I hear well, happening. Right? I, I mean, I just look at that the teams that they're playing, and there's no one there that worries me. I mean, other than you know Atlanta, Charlotte, and Miami. I mean, to me, that's the that's the gauntlet you got to run. I'm not the Bucks could be tough. They're gonna beat the Pelicans' brains in. Um, you know, I think I don't think 50 wins is beyond reason right now. I really don't. Then Jake Crowder is coming back, and when you talk about playing strong and trying to get that three seed there's i mean i don't think jay's going to miss another game the rest of the season so at this point you know they were able to take golden state without him but he's going to be playing hard to get back into game shape so one of those like sleeper games letdown games the only one that really scares me actually is the one against the lakers other than that i think you're right i think they'll bring it i think jay will help make sure of it because he needs to be in playoff you know game shape and i will tell you this if they did run the table, if they hit that 50-win season, look the hell out in first round yeah. because it definitely won't be a letdown. That will be such a confidence boost, such a such a momentum run into the postseason. Look the hell out. It'll be a wrecking ball, at least in round one. This, I mean, there's probably a lot of recency bias in what I'm saying right now because you know, of what we saw Friday night. But I just I, – I, I, I don't see – I think that, well, okay, what happened back in December, I'm trying to reorganize my thoughts on this. In December, the Celtics, when they played Golden State, after that game, they really kind of fell into a funk until, I'd say, until after the first of the year. They really start were scuffling there the remainder of that month. And I'm hoping that, you know, the converse of, of what happened, uh, you know, in December, basically, you go come off a tough loss and have a hard time responding to it. I'm hoping they don't have a hard time responding to a big win over the same team. I don't think they will. I think we're far enough down that road. They know who they are. They know what their rotations are. They figure those things out. I think the only question is Crowder. How much do you want to play Crowder? Do you want to try to give him 
really some light play over the next two weeks to really get that ankle as healthy as it can be. Or as he kind of mentioned post game against uh, Portland, he needs to get in better shape. So will he be playing some more minutes? Perhaps he needs to play the minutes. He needs to play the minutes because here's the deal. The ankle, I mean, if it winds up bothering him to a point where he's sore and it's swollen the next day, Mm -hmm. that's one thing. But in terms of strengthening the ankle, it's actually only going to strengthen by him playing. He's already gone through the rest period on that. They wouldn't let him go out there if they thought that there was a chance that he was going to retweak it easily enough that it was going to set him back. That part's done. The The best thing he can do is continue to run and strengthen that ankle so that he's even better in the postseason. I, I say he's got to play the minutes, and he's got to play him hard. If he does a little tweak, sit it down rest it, et cetera. But as long as there's no tweaks along the way, you know, and that would still be random. I don't think his, I don't think the ankle is, is, is that vulnerable. I think he took plenty of requisite time to get healthy. He was, you know, word was that he was chomping at the bit to come back even before he did, which tells me that he was feeling all right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, that's, that's good enough for me then. That, that, I'm glad to hear that because I mean, are you, you think it's a risk? Well, I, I just, I know anytime you have an ankle sprain, it's weak, you know, and and it, the risk for re-injuring ankle sprains is so high. I mean, it's just you see it all the time. Someone with a gimpy ankle, and all of a sudden, there it's it's a real problem. Um, and it's a high ankle sprain too, so those don't you know don't go away easily. I I guess you know my hope would be particularly in the next three, and that's including the Lakers game, so. Again, sorry for those who are listening on Monday, which <laughs> probably will be. Uh, I'm done with the West Coast trip, by the way. Right. These late games, dude. That's and true. I hate watching on replay oh. when I already know the outcome. I mean, when you go to the NBA.com app, mm-hmm. you know, I have league pass because I'm in Pennsylvania. Right. But when you go there, you can't hit replay without seeing the score because it's right there. Like, I couldn't possibly avoid it and then watch the game like I used to with Comcast and then, you know, having a DVR or whatever. I don't have that option. To me, oh, they won by three. That's great. Let's watch it. Uh, I, I, we should add that to the list of our NBA online complaints because the other one I have, and I this is the worst thing that the NBA does in my mind, is the autoplay of their videos when you go to check a box score. Yes. I do not need to be blasted at you know 5,000 decibels by Rick Kamla screaming in my ear. I, it's, just, <laughs> it's not necessary, okay? So... You know, I'm I'm glad that they have video and all that, but that whole site needs like a complete like overhaul. I mean, they've they've had that thing going this way for so many years. They gotta they gotta up their game. So anyway, um... no, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. There are just some basic tweaks that need to be fixed. Yeah. The League Pass app used to be horrendous. Now it's awesome. You can stream it to the Chromecast so I can watch it on any TV. My only complaint, I don't even mind the blackouts. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand that they have to black out, you know, certain coverages. Sure. But I but but I don't like if um I, I don't like the NBA. If it's on NBA TV, I can't watch it. That's you know, crazy. It's the one that I can't, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. The blacking out because I'm in a local market and I probably should have Com- Com- uh, Comcast, that's one thing. I still would like to see him get rid of that. But I understand that relationship and I understand why it's set up the way that it is. But blacking me out on NBA TV is frustrating. Yeah, it's unnecessary. And and it's, it's, it's they, why shouldn't, why can't they just I offer NBA for TV? Right, exactly. And I pay for it. 
That's a really good point. Why doesn't NBA TV just stream on NBA League Pass? Right. I mean, at right. any time you've got League Pass and you just watch it. I mean, that's that would be the that to me. And it's the, it's the NBA's TV channel. Right. Like if Comcast will let me watch it as long as I'm not in market. Why does the NBA all of a sudden black it out across the board with theirs? Because and you can't purchase NBA TV. And you'd almost think, why couldn't you do that? I mean, I understand Comcast has the broadcast rights, and they're pretty much the monopoly of internet. I mean, uh, of cable television providers, and I understand how that all works. But if you're the NBA and you're doling out those broadcast rights, mm-hmm. and it's your channel, and Comcast doesn't even black them out unless it's in a local market, why are you as NBA blacking out those games on NBA TV like that? That piece doesn't add up to me. No. No, absolutely not. It's that's it's just podcast on the internet because you own it. That's it's right. your product. Why isn't it always yep. streaming live? Whether it's not on NBA League Pass or if it's right off the you know the NBA.com website. I mean, listen, no offense, we just had Ian Thompson on from NBA.com, right? And we love Ian, and he did a great job. But you know, this isn't this is really you know this is really more about the people who you know are managing content at a corporate level. And I just think NBA TV needs to be, you know, made, be, you know, given out to the masses. How come you think about all the people that used to listen to this show and probably still do from overseas? How come they can't pay a subscription to watch the games that are on NBA TV? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that why shouldn't they be able to be a part of that that same, <laughs> you know, the same same package that we we are able to offer? That's they could do League Pass, but I think they're still blacked out on the NBA TV games. Right, right. They should be able to have that. That's come on. Come Bring on. the game. Fix to the it. Fix Bring it. the game to the people. That's right. <laughs> Fix it. Fix it, Adam Silver. Oh, anyway. Um, He's actually done a lot of good things. I mean, I, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of Adam Silver versus his predecessor, as you know. And uh, I don't think. I mean, there was a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of hate on our show for David back in the day, right? I mean, Deserved. it was not we were not in love. Deservedly so. Um, you know, he he did so many things I think that really were, you know, particularly officiating and you know, that's where we were of course we were in that era of, of post Donaghy and and you know, post, you know, Spurs uh, excuse me, post uh Knicks Next Kings, Lakers. Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, we were in that post world where officiating was deserved uh, a great deal of, of criticism. Still does, quite honestly, but not to that level because of all the things that we had seen in the in the press. And did did da- did David Stern do anything to fix those things? No, he did not. So, yeah, right yeah. on, right on. But Adam Silver's been good. I mean, you know, he's he's tall and bald and beautiful, right? But just, <laughs> just loving it. No, he has done a nice job. Yeah, no, I, uh, I like I like what he's done. I agree, I agree with you. I'm not uh, I'm not disagreeable. I I think that he is he is what they need right now. And he of of all the pro sports owners, he's far and away the most competent. I think. Oh, yeah. I think Patriots fans can agree with that. I think Patriots fans would definitely agree with that. <laughs> All right, John, on that note, let's wrap the show. We're going to be back next week, everybody, and we'll be uh, damn close 
to the playoffs at that point. I think there'll be two games left on the docket when we record next week. And then we're going to come to you the following week. So we're looking two weeks down the road now. But we're going to come to you a little bit early. Instead of a, a Monday broadcast, we're going to probably bring something to you on Friday or Saturday in preparation for the playoffs before any of the games get underway um, right at the closeout of the season and also coinciding with uh, the kids, in, at least in Maine and I think most of New England, uh, their second spring break. Uh, so uh, uh, John and I are both going to be on vacation. So no better time to record an early show than right after the season closes, preview the playoffs. Um, and we're definitely going to be looking for questions and comments from all of our Twitter followers. You can follow me, CSL underscore Justin on Twitter. Follow John at CSL underscore Duke. Or follow the show and all of our um, Twitter uh, uh Feeds for the show at CS at CSL underscore tweet live. Also, don't forget to check out Celtics Beat. Huge supporters of Celtics Stuff Live all on CLNS Radio. And a big thanks to them. So definitely check that out. Last week's show on Celtics Beat with Kevin Pelton was amazing. And uh, his guest, Larry H. Russell's guest this week, was Leon Pope. And, you know, how fitting before the final matchup against Kobe and the Lakers for that to have broadcast <laughs> on Sunday morning. Remember when Leon Poe went off in L.A., John? I, 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 I also remember that when, when Leon went off and uh, Phil Jackson didn't know how to pronounce his name. That oh, pow. Leon Pow. Awesome. Were you there that night? Were you covering that press I was. conference? Yeah. yeah, that was classic. Yeah. <laughs> He knows his name now. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Celtic Stuff Live.